Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, The Future is Now, A Closer Look at Implantable Anti-VEGF Technology, is provided by Prova Education. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Prolonged delivery of anti-VEGF is now possible with the Port Delivery System, or PDS. How can we best integrate its use into our day-to-day practice? This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. John Kitchens. And I'm Dr. Srinivas Sada. Boss, let me start by asking you, as a medical retina specialist, are you at all worried about losing patient volume to the surgical retina folks who are going to be implanting port delivery? Uh, That's a great question, John. I have to tell you, I'm not worried about that at all. I I think we've all got our hands full with uh, injections up to our ears, so many patients needing injections. Really, I think, uh, pushing the capacity limits of our system as it stands. And we can anticipate with the imminent approval of treatments or geographic atrophy that burden and that challenge is only going to increase. So we really need more durable treatment strategies in order to better manage our patients. And so I think uh, being able to refer uh, patients to the vitreoretinal surgeon for this implantation, I'd be very happy to do so. And I'm not at all worried about the volume issues. Now, the good thing is that I do think that with regards to the port delivery system, I think these patients still need to be monitored in the interval. I certainly, after the first implantation, we want to see them within uh, six weeks and possibly at that frequency, depending on how they're doing, or at the very least, one interval visit between the six-month refills. And so that'll give me an opportunity to maintain that patient uh, connection uh, in, in between when the patient sees the vitreoretinal surgeon for that initial implantation and possibly the refills as well. You know, Vashi hit on a great point, and I really think that's going to be crucial is a lot of these patients who are the best candidates for port delivery system are the frequent flyers, the patients that we've seen for years and years require frequent injections. And they get so attached. I'm sure that they're going to be like, Dr. Sada, I don't want to go to another doctor. And when you can reassure them that, hey, listen, I'm going to get you to an excellent surgeon, a good friend of mine, and and they will do your surgery, but then you're going to come back to me for the routine monitoring and the refills. I think that can really be the best of both worlds. Now, Voss, we have other injectable treatments. Uh, we have brolicizumab has been out for a couple of years. Verisimab is very new on the scene. How are you deciding between these emerging treatments and PDS? Yeah, John, you know, it's really great that we're in this era where we have multiple options. I think both you and I can recall a time when we had no treatment options, uh, really, for these patients with subfulvial neovascularization. And so really, as with most medical decisions, it comes down to the risk-benefit profile. Uh, Obviously, uh, surgical intervention will have some additional risks compared to uh, just an individual injection. And so so it really depends on balancing uh, sort of the treatment burden uh, versus versus all of these issues that go into the risk-benefit calculation. And for me personally, how how this computes in terms of this calculation is that the kind of patients that I I think we're going to be really uh, the the candidates for the PDS or patients who I can't extend beyond uh, 12 weeks. With uh, with longer-acting agents such as verisimab or verlicizumab, that's our expectation now, that maybe we can get our patients out to that kind of interval. Uh, And for patients you can't achieve that, that's what I think it's reasonable to consider the PDS. Because I think quarterly injections, that's not overly burdensome. I'd want to monitor the patient at least at that frequency anyways. And so it's for those patients who who can't uh, get there that I think PDS is is very useful. Uh, Certainly, though, uh, there are other considerations uh, because it involves surgery, because you involve serving the conjunctiva, patients with a history of glaucoma surgery, 
may not be great candidates. Patients who have a history of recurrent or frequent conjunctival or lid infections, not maybe not a good idea to have a device there. And certainly patients who have dry eye disease. I mean, you can, you can imagine how disturbing the conjunctiva uh, might only, uh, might, might only uh, disturb uh, such a patient further. So I think it's certainly uh, reasonable uh, for most patients to consider trying them on furisumab, see how they do at least one injection and see if you can get them out to 12 weeks before you might consider using the PDS. That, that's a really great summary, Voss. Now, what about our patients that present with a submacular hemorrhage or, or have some hemorrhagic component uh, to their wet AMD? Is that something that would be a contraindication for PDS? Are those good patients for PDS? W- what do you think? Well, uh, I mean, my, my opinion, John, I mean, you know, one of the best studies that I've seen on this topic of submacular surgery, submacular hemorrhages, excuse me, and their connection to, to anti-VEGF therapy was really the study that was published out of the Wales Eye Hospital. And their study didn't really seem to show a tight connection between uh, a long duration between the last anti-VEGF injection and the development of submacular hemorrhage. In fact, many of the patients who develop a significant hemorrhage had recent anti-VEGF therapy. So, for me, just because a patient develops hemorrhages does not mean that they can't uh, receive a PDS. And PDS might be a very good method, in fact, to control those individuals. In fact, you might even argue that perhaps continuous VEGF delivery as opposed to episodic delivery, perhaps that actually could better control such patients. So certainly don't view it as a contraindication, but certainly such patients probably would warrant uh, more careful monitoring. For those just tuning in, you're listening to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. John Kitchens, and here with me today is Dr. Srivas Sada. We're looking at the ins and outs of integrating the port delivery system into practice for patients with neovascular AMD. Yeah, that's really where we need to have this in the real world and get some experience with it to see how those patients do. Now, speaking of the frequent flyer patients, I'd love to show you and get your thoughts on one of my patients. In fact, this is the first patient that we uh, that we put the device in uh, when it was commercially available. She is a feisty 84-year-old patient who actually presented to me when she was 80 with new onset wet AMD in her right eye, she kind of had this lumpy, bumpy, kind of low-lying drusenoid RPE elevation, but just a thin layer of subretinal fluid. 2040, and she was very specific about the distortion that she was having. So she responded to anti-VEGF therapy. And so we knew that this was not only a therapeutic trial of an anti-VEGF, but also a bit of a diagnostic trial because of that subretinal fluid improving. And, you know, even though she presented with very mild disease, very early onset, I just could not extend her out beyond monthly injections. When we would go five weeks after an injection, she would have new subretinal fluid. And more importantly, she would be symptomatic. And she'd come in and say, I told you I couldn't go five weeks. Her vision would drop a line to 2050. And so when we first learned about the pending approval of poor deliver, I asked her, I said, you know, you've been on this monthly therapy for four years. Would this be something that you're interested in? And you might well be one of the first people in the world to have it put in post-approval. And she said, sign me up. So we did. We treated her about a week and a half, two weeks before the implantation with an anti-VEGF injection. She underwent uncomplicated surgeries, great surgery. She had a little hypotony after her surgery. And we treated her with some topical durazole or steroids, and that really kind of helped quell things. But what was so interesting is, is one week after the implantation, she was drier than I really had ever seen her in the last couple of years. And, and she was 2025. 20, and the best she had ever really been during her monthly visits was 2040. 
And she told me, she said, you know, listen, I can see better than I've seen in two years. I can sit at my kitchen table and I can read the clock on my stove. And I haven't been able to do that for two years. Now, what was really interesting, and I always tell people when putting in the port delivery system, expect the unexpected. And so seven weeks after implantation, I brought her back for a follow-up visit. And sure enough, she had some new subretinal fluid, not under the fovea, but new subretinal fluid. What was really interesting, she was not symptomatic with this subretinal fluid. And before she always had been. So I thought perhaps we're going to have to give her a rescue treatment, but calmer heads prevailed. And basically we just followed her and that subrenal fluid resolved. And four and a half months after her port delivery system implant, she looked as dry as she'd ever been. She settled in about 2040 at that point. And we refilled her at six and a half months and and she's happy. It's kind of funny because I want to see her more often, but uh, she said, why did I get this thing? I got it so I wouldn't have to come back. So we're, I, we negotiated and I'm going to see her back in four months after her refill. And she knows she can call me if she has any issues. She knows to watch for any signs of exposure and whatnot. But uh, but this is a patient that I really was worried. You know, she's a frequent flyer. Is she going to do well with PDS? And it turned out that at least so far, she has done exceedingly well. Wow, John, that's a really instructive and, and, and great case. I think it highlights some really important issues uh, because, that, you, you know, one might think, well, the kind of patient that you might consider for PDS is someone you can get completely dry. And that's you know, the kind of patients I might uh, prefer, but your patient is a really great um, a case that illustrates that, you know, there could be significant differences between, uh, as you, I think you alluded to, between bolus dosing versus kind of continuous delivery. So you might have patients who might even have some persistent fluid with continuous delivery, they could actually get dry, which I think is potentially exciting in thinking about how we use the, 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 the PDS. You know, for me specifically, you know, I, th- I think uh, in a patient like this, who may, maybe even they have some fluid even after you put in the the, the PDS. You know, I, I think that this circumstance may be a little bit different uh, than in uh, patients who don't have a continuous delivery system in place. Generally, you know, my opinion is you treat to dry. You try to get the retina completely dry. We, we know that uh, long-term uh, uh, having persistent exudation leads to vision loss. But you can imagine maybe a patient who has a little bit of fluid outside the, 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 the fovea and you don't see significant fluctuations because we know that significant fluctuations uh, can be associated with a uh, loss of vision, but that might some be somebody who you might be able to hold off on giving a bolus dose as, as you were able to, as you said, cooler has prevailed and you're able to, to, to ride it out. And I think in that regard, your case is very instructive, but you know, again, that's where if you have a patient who has some persistent fluid, as you get your sort of feet wet, you might watch them bring them back at very short intervals to make sure things aren't worsening, they're not developing additional hemorrhage, and you might be able to sustain them through that six months, which obviously would be pretty exciting uh, for the patient. And boss, we could go on for an hour about this. You've spoken about it, you've written about it, but you know, location of fluid, will the location, intraretinal fluid versus subretinal fluid, will that play any role in your decision to, to use PDS or recommend PDS? Maybe not in the initial decision-making, John, although I I do think that a patient who has uh, fluid that's outside the fovea, I'd be less, uh, maybe a little bit less concerned about than somebody who's got fluid right under the fovea. Perhaps that could be a factor. But fundamentally, I think that the big thing is if somebody has relatively small amounts of fluid, 
Uh, they're not people who develop big fluctuations. I think uh, that even, even if there's a little bit of fluid outside the fovea, uh, I think they'd be very reasonable to consider the PDS. As I think actually your case beautifully illustrates that you were able to, to dry the fluid with continuous therapy. I, I was very impressed by that. You know, Les, it's really important, uh, by the way, and I looked into this with this patient, is not to refill the PDS before six months. The labeling indicates really only six-month refills. Um, it is different than monthly or interval dosing, as you alluded to, and, and there's a lot we don't know, and we're going to learn from patients like my patients and your patients as we start to utilize this more and more, and I think realizing, once again, expect the unexpected with this, um, that don't overreact when you see somebody that develops something, um, uh, new subretinal fluid or new, new intraretinal fluid, maybe take a pause and wait a couple of weeks and see if that doesn't resolve, because that's what I've been so surprised with, uh, in some of my study patients and in this patient. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Voss, as we wrap up here today, what's one or two take-home messages for our audience? Uh, absolutely, John. I really enjoyed having this discussion with you. And, and I guess one thing I would say in my you know, as a takeaway is really, I, I think, you know, don't be afraid to use all of the tools in your arsenal. We're lucky to be in this era where we have these different options. Ultimately, the most important thing is getting control of the exudation for your patient. If they're a patient who can't make it for their, their visits, can't maintain that follow-up schedule, I mean, clearly, you know, the PDS, I think, can play a very valuable role there. The other thing, I think, is that you want to really avoid, I think, fluid fluctuations. I think the data is really quite compelling that patients who have big fluctuations, oscillations, their oscillations their fluid, they tend to have the worst uh, visual outcome. So this is where I think uh, it's exciting to have a strategy that can give you can give you continuous therapy that may aid in minimizing these types of fluid fluctuations. And boss, for me, I really think the bit of advice I would have is these patients are already there. If you're injecting a patient very friendly, you've seen them for years, you already have a relationship, think about PDS for that patient. Well, that's all the time we have today. I want to thank our audience for tuning in. And I really want to thank you, Voss, for joining me. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much, John. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And I really enjoyed this. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Prova. Thank you for listening.